Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the goodness of God. How many of you remember that old saying? And if you do, repeat after me. God is good? No hesitation. Y'all knew exactly. Did did y'all steal my notes? That was exactly right. Yes, God is good all the time. And all the time, it's an old saying. A lot of old school pastors used to step up to the pulpit and open up their sermon that way uh, with that little um, old mantra. And it's certainly true. It's true that God is good all the time and that all the time God is good. But what does that mean? What exactly does that mean about God being good? And so that's what we're going to look at tonight is the goodness of God. To help us understand that, uh, we need to look at um, a couple of definitions. I guess this thing is dead here. You're going to have to help me out here, Ernest. Um, Go ahead and go to the next one. So we need to understand what the, the, what the Bible means when it says good, okay? So first off, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word essentially means pleasant or agreeable. And in the Greek, it essentially means good in nature or intrinsically good. Now for our English definition... It means favorable character or tendency, suitable, reliable, pleasant, true, honorable. To be honest, there were a million definitions for good in the the Webster's Dictionary. I just kind of jotted down a couple that stuck out. And certainly God encompasses all of those things, right? God is definitely a favorable character or tendency. He's definitely more than suitable. He's reliable. He's pleasant. He's true. He's honorable. He's all of these things. So I wanted to start off by defining what good means uh, because we're going to use the word good a lot. And quite often uh, we, we think of our own personal definition of what good means which sometimes can just mean like decent, right? I mean, you talk about, hey, how was the movie? Yeah, yeah, it was good. But really you mean it was decent, it was okay, I slept through 45 minutes of it. I'm never guilty of doing that, by the way. But that's what we mean by good, but that's not what the Bible means by good. So it's important for us to grasp that at the outset. Now, uh, we'll go ahead and read Psalm 34 Eight. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray for God's blessing on this message. Gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here this evening with my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
for the opportunity to open up your word and to learn of the goodness of who you are, Lord. God, I am pitifully inadequate to express and explain how good you truly are. Lord, there's no way that our pea-sized brains could truly fathom or grasp just how good you are, Lord. But I pray that you give us a glimpse, Lord. I pray that we leave here with at least a glimpse of your goodness and that it would result in worship towards you and devotion to you, that we may glorify you in all that we do, Lord. I pray for these things in your holy name. Amen. So let's go to our definition of the goodness of God. It is that God is good in all ways, in all things, at all times. He is good in nature, in word, and in action. God is good in all ways, in all things, at all times. He is good in nature, and in word, and in action. God is good. We need to understand that God is not good uh, because somebody says he's good. Goodness is his nature. Goodness is his makeup. If God had DNA, or if he had a physical body, if he was made up of things, every fiber of his being would be intrinsically good. Like I said, if he had DNA, his DNA would be good. Every aspect of who God is, is good. It is the goodness of God. Now this is going to be important for us to grasp and and set our feet on the solid ground of that understanding that he's good in all ways, at all times. That his goodness is not hinged upon circumstance or situation, but that God simply is good. That is to say that if Genesis 1-1 had never happened, if, if God had never created the universe, that God would still be good. He doesn't need this universe to be good. God simply is good all on his own. If he were to have condemned all mankind to hell after Adam sinned in the garden, God would still be good. God is good because of who he is. It is his nature. And it's important to know that God is not getting better. He's not getting worse. That God is as good as good can possibly ever be, and he has always been so, and he will always continue to be so. He is the embodiment of goodness and and is unchangeably good. Tonight, I hope that we will taste and see that the Lord truly is good. Let's look at a couple of um, parts of this definition here. Understanding that his nature is good. Quite often, and I'm guilty of this, I'm sure every last one of us is guilty of this, but quite often we'll look at um, a pay raise or an extra couple of zeros in the right place in the bank account, or we'll open up the food pantry and see that it's stocked, 
or we'll get a new vehicle or we'll get a new home and we say, man, God is good. And yes, God absolutely is good, but his goodness is not dependent on him doing good things. That is to say that God is not good because he does good things. God does good things because he is good. Psalm 119 verse 69 says this way, You are good and do good. This means that we cannot make the mistake of comparing his goodness to anything we know or any human examples of good deeds. I was thinking about how to explain this, and this might be the best way that I can think of in my limited imagination. Um, we have some teachers that go here. Most of you have children, um, so you can probably relate to this. We attribute goodness to a child based on his merit, based on his deeds, based on his actions, based on his behavior, based on his grades in school, based on his or her cleaning up of their room or going to throw the trash or this, that, or the other, or the fact that the child is never disruptive. We say, man, that's a good kid. That is a good little boy or a good little girl that you have raised. But just quite the opposite, we also attribute badness in the same way. We say, man, this kid is never on time. They're always messing up. They're always throwing things around. They're always screaming. They're always being a disruption. They cussed out the pastor. You know, they did this. Bad kid. We attribute goodness and badness based off of actions. Do you, do you see that? And it happens with adults. We do that with adults. We see somebody who appears to have a lot of morals. And we say, man, that's a good man. man. That's a good woman. And just in the opposite way, we see someone who can't keep their act together. And we say, man, that is a bad man. That's a bad woman. God is not like this. We cannot attribute goodness or badness to God based on, based on actions. Because God's name is good. Therefore, everything that he does is good. Everything. Now, let's take a moment. Let's think about what that means. Let's think about the implications of that. Because, let's be honest, sometimes things happen that don't. So we're quite often led to ask the question, why does a good God allow evil things to happen? Evil things to happen. See, what we're doing in that thing of God is though he were just a man. Well, if he were a man, then he would be evil just like these other men, just like these other men, and he's doing bad things, so he's not a good God, he's a God. But could you imagine if God really were like us? Could you imagine the level of wicked, evil things that he would do to us if he were actually like us? That means that all the bad things that we would see in the world would just be bad things. It would just be God being mean. 
It would just be God being a bully to everyone. I think it was the movie Bruce Almighty years ago where he says that he feels like God is a bully on an anthill with a magnifying glass and that he was the ant that God was picking on. But that is not so. God is not like that. God's not a bully. God is good. Even in the midst of awful situations and circumstance, God is still good. His goodness is not changed. It is unchangeable. Had he never created the universe, as I said earlier, he would still be good. He was good from eternity past, and he will be good in eternity future. When Job's wife, think about this, in Job chapter 2, and you can just write down Job chapter 2, to Job, <laughs> to go and read. But whenever Job was getting personally, physically attacked by Satan, and he got boils on his skin, his wife is telling him, why are you still dealing with this God? Why don't you just curse God and die? What did Job say? In, in verse 10, he says, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Well, that's hard to think about. See, God uses everything in this world to accomplish his purposes. Everything. Nothing goes to waste. Not even evil, not even wickedness, not even sin. All of it serves a purpose. That is not to say that God himself sins or that God himself does wicked or evil things. But that is to say that God will use anything, any means necessary to accomplish his good plan. And if you know how the story of Job ended... It didn't end with Job cursing God and dying. It didn't end with Job dying himself. It ended with God returning to him more than he had to begin with. Why? Because he's a good God. The goodness of God is not hinged upon our perceived level of his blessing upon our lives. Job understood that. He knew that God's goodness is not dependent upon his perceived level of ease or difficulty within his circumstances. We'll say it again. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. We're going to look at three demonstrations of the goodness of God. Number one, God is good to his creation. Psalm 33, 5 says, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 136, 25, He gives food to all flesh. His goodness endures forever. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus talks about the Lord even feeding the sparrows. In that passage, He's talking about how worthless, essentially, or how of little value sparrows are. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? 
a penny. This is how little value these little birds have, and yet God takes the time to take care, to feed them, and to watch over them, and not one of them falls to the ground without God knowing. Why? Because he is good. God is good to his creation. That means that every animal in the animal kingdom, every turtle, Every lizard, every, every single snake, every titsy fly, every humblebee, every, every single buzzing bee in the air, every single cre- creature in God's creation experiences the goodness of God. Everything, every fish in the water, every shark, every whale, every caterpillar, Everything that God has created has a purpose and God has created it and is showing his goodness to it. That's a good God. That he would take care to even show his goodness to animals and creatures. Some would say that he shows his goodness the most to dogs because they're awesome. Personal opinion. I'll allow that to be my personal opinion. You won't see that in Scripture. But I will fight you on that. God is good to all living things, everything in his creation. But guess what? He's also good to non-believers. That's point number two. God is good to non-believers. In Matthew 5, 45 it says that he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Acts 14, 16 through 17, it speaks of God allowing all nations to walk in their own ways and even, even giving them rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying their hearts with food and gladness. And in Romans 2, 4, we see the reason for God's goodness towards non-believers is not just to shower them with kindness, but his kindness is actually intended to turn them from their evil. God shows his graciousness, his goodness, his kindness, even to lost, sinful people that they may turn in repentance to him. Church, that is a level of goodness I can't even grasp. I I mean, think about it. The people that you're not friends with, the people that you don't really like, how hard is it to even say hello? How hard is it to even even want to shake their hand or to even want to be around them? Everything that person does just irritates you to death. And yet God sees an entire generation of people who are actively rebelling against them, and he still allows them to experience the goodness of his creation. That's a good God. Think about that. He allows non-believers, wicked people, rebellious people to taste food. They can enjoy food and drink. He gives them oxygen to breathe He gives them health. Every day that they wake up, he woke them up. He let their brains, all of their synapses fire in their brains. 
He allows them to recall great, wonderful memories. He allows them to travel to exquisite destinations and experience beautiful beaches and incredible sunsets and stand in awe of a creation that they will not give him credit for. That's a good God. He even allows them to go to church and hear his gospel and hear his message of redemption. And herein really lies just this incredible picture of a good God that he could at any moment just completely wipe out non-believers at any moment. And he would be justified and he would still be good. But what does scripture say is that he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. So what does he do? He shows them his goodness and says, and puts them in positions and leads them to hear his gospel. He puts people in their lives to allow them to preach the gospel to him. I remember I had a boss one time. He saw that my store, I was a manager, he saw that my store was doing really, really well and he couldn't explain it because everywhere that he put me, it was doing really well. And that's because I had the favor of God there for this very moment to have this conversation with him. It wasn't for me to get rich. It was so that this door would open up for him. And my mind just explodes to think of how good God is. That he would have all of these things happening to put me right face to face with my boss who was very lost in sin and have a conversation with him that went like this. He said, man, you know, I, I know that you're all about that God stuff. And I see how good you do here. And I said, yeah, do you know why? It's because God is with me. And he said, yeah, I'm beginning to think that. You know, I've been distant from God for a long time. And I've always wondered what he's like. See, this guy was an Asian. He was from Asia. So their God is completely different. And he said, I've always wondered what this is all about. I've always wondered what this is like. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit just gave me illumination and helped me to understand. And I told him, well, isn't it crazy that God loves you so much that he would put a crazy person like me here to sit here and talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Folks, that is a good God. That is a really, 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 really crazy good God. So think about that next time you're at work tomorrow. And there's all of these people that you're surrounded with. We don't know anyone's hearts. But you can pretty well tell who's living for Christ and who's not. So instead of us always being so quick to judge so quick to be frustrated with these people, so quick to lose our patience and lose our cool, why don't we take a moment and think about the goodness of God towards us and realize that he could be placing you there to show that world his goodness. I'm here to show the world around me how good God is. 
That means at work. That means at play. That means whenever I'm really frustrated around those people at work that just get under my skin and never understand me and never want to hear me out. I'm here to show them how good God is. See, God is good even to non-believers. How much more should we be? This doesn't mean just let people run all over you. What it means is show the love of Christ. Show the patience of Christ. Show the grace of Christ. Now, church, I'll have you know that I'm preaching to myself here because I get it. it gets, it's hard sometimes because you get so wrapped up in, in church and church people that you start dealing with people who are non-believers and you say, man, why don't they just get it? Why didn't you just get it? Matt, why didn't we, any of us, just get it when we were dead in our sin? Because we were dead in our sin. So those non-believers around you at work are dead in their sin. That's why they're not getting it. But you are there. You are uniquely designed and uniquely placed to show how good God is, even to a wicked, rebellious, non-believing world. Sometimes God is so good to non-believers that it almost makes believers question God. You ever been there? Well, that's in Scripture. Turn to Psalm 73. We're going to read 73, 1 through 14. I know it's a little lengthy, but we're going to get through it. Because this is important. I want us to see this. How incredible this is, that this is in Scripture. Psalm 73, 1 through 14. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues strut and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. And washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Wow. Have you ever felt that way? 
Have you ever felt that way? Be honest here. Like, have you ever felt that way looking at people at work or looking at friends that you know? Like, man, I know this person is so far from God and they just seem to have it so easy. I'm going through all these hard times. I'm struggling. I, I, I have all this stuff going wrong in my life and I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to do the right thing. And here they are. They don't care about God and nothing seems to go wrong in their life. We've all known at least one person that way. And look, here's the example for us in Scripture. See, God is displaying their, his goodness to them. Now let's jump down to, we're going to read 18 through 20, and then 27 and 28. It says, truly to them, or truly you set them in, I'm sorry, let's back up. Let's go to uh, 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And then skip over to 27 and 28. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. <laughs> you see, God is good in displaying his goodness to even non-believers, but there will be a day when that display of goodness towards them vanishes. And then we will see, as we enjoy the Lord forever in heaven, we will be in his presence where there is goodness and joy and pleasures forevermore, and their experience will have ended. It is good to be near God. That leads us to our last point here, that God is good to his children. Jeremiah 32.40 says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Psalm 149.4 for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Matthew 7, 11. And Jesus there is speaking of asking, and it will be given to you in that whole passage. And he gives the illustration that if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven? See, we sing this song that God is a good, good Father. Do we truly understand what that means? See, sometimes we will see God's goodness demonstrated towards us in material blessing. Sometimes we will. Sometimes God will just bless you abundantly, materially. He'll bless you with money. He'll bless you with things. Sometimes. But that is not first and foremost what God's goodness is about. Listen, if 
material blessing were the measure for how good God is to his children, then he hated his apostles. He hated them. If that is the measure, is just blessing and gain and and money and, and possessions, if that's the measure, then God hated his apostles. Why? Because all of them, almost all of them, died brutal, bloody deaths. They suffered. I don't need to tell you how much Paul refers to the suffering that he's going through. So we see that the goodness of God is not about the material blessing. Sometimes we experience that, absolutely. And yes, in James it says that every good and perfect thing comes from heaven. Absolutely. I am not denying that. But there are three important ways that we need to understand that God shows his goodness to us. And I'm going to run through these quickly. God shows his goodness to us by providing for us. Write these down. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Ephesians 1.3 God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Psalm 37.25 I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Ernest, I think that that's on the next slide. That was the first point there. God shows his goodness to us by providing for us. So notice, sometimes it is the material blessing. But as we see in Ephesians 1.3, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, the world is chasing after things, but God gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us Freedom from bondages, from from sins that have haunted you your whole life. These are spiritual blessings. And God has already blessed you with those if you are in Christ. The second thing is God shows his goodness to us by protecting us. Psalm 34, 19 Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Deuteronomy 31.6, you know this one. The Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God protects his children. He keeps us safe. Now that also might not always mean physically. Look at, again, the example of Job. God said, have Adam. But even then, Satan was only operating within the leash and the boundaries that God set before him. Why? Because God was protecting Job. He was keeping him safe. Even in the midst of him losing everything and suffering so much, God was protecting him. And most importantly, God protects your most valuable asset, which is your soul. Thirdly, 
God will continue to show his goodness to us because he has a good plan for us. I will confess to you, I hesitated putting this passage in there because it is so terribly abused today. But Jeremiah 29, 11, though it immediately refers to Israel, it certainly applies to the children of God. That God knows the plan that he has for you. And it is a good plan. And it is to do good things to you and for you. God is not working against his children. God is not rooting against you. God is not hoping that you would fail. God is not waiting for the opportunity to smite you. You have a good father who wants good things for you. To a level that we can't even think or imagine. Now, here's the thing. Is that sometimes that good plan is suffering. As we would look at Jeremiah 29, the immediate context there, we're not going to turn there today, but the immediate context there is actually suffering. That God is sending them off. He's sending them off into exile. They're going to be slaves again. But then God comforts them and says, listen, I have a good plan for you. This is going to take the amount of time it's going to take. You're going to go through these things, but know this. I have a good plan for you. I will not destroy you. My plan is not to do you harm. And if you are a child of God, you can bet your life that that is for you as well. And no matter what we go through, what awful pain we experience, what loss we experience, the suffering that we go through, the trials, the hardships, the storms, the agony we experience, no matter what, we can know that if we are a child of God, that he causes all things, all things to work together for the good of his children. Everything, everything in your life, what does that mean? That means that God does not waste your suffering. God doesn't waste your pain. God doesn't waste your hardships. God doesn't even waste your sin. Everything will serve his purpose. And this good plan that is for us, that God has for us, is to conform us to the image of his son. You see, everything that happens in the life of a Christian is to chisel away everything about you that is not Christ-like. Everything. Your, your anger, your sadness, your depression, your anxiety, your short temper, your, your whatever it is, your addictions, your bondages, whatever they are, God is chiseling them away and he will use any means necessary to do that. Why? Because he's a good God and he has a good plan for you. And that plan is to make you look more like Jesus. 
I'm going to close with this. Turn to Isaiah 62. We're going to read in just a second. Before we read that, it's taken me a long time to fully to realize that not only does God do good things, not only is he good, but God actually delights in doing good things for his children. It's the hardest thing for me to grasp. It's unfortunate that our culture has so severely abused the goodness of God to the point that sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't even want to talk about how good God is because it's such a cliche and it's so abused and so many people just, that's all that they want to talk about is just that God is good. And what they really mean is that I want God to give me stuff. But what we do still need to understand is that if you're a child of God, that God delights in doing good things to you and for you. I think about that. And to think about how good God is and to think about how not good we are, certainly me, I think about how not good I am, yet this good, perfect, holy, incredible, righteous God delights in doing good to me? How can that be? I mean, seriously, how? We find it in Isaiah 53. You don't have to turn there. But there we find that the, it pleased God to crush his son. It pleased God to crush his son. And that always rubs people the wrong way. But see, what we need to understand is that it didn't please God to crush his son because God is mean or because he was abusive to his children. It pleased God to crush his son because he knew that through this sacrifice, he would be able to be justified in doing good things for you. For wicked debased, depraved sinners who are nothing like Jesus. Because of the cross, God can do good things to horrible people and be justified. Because if you are in Christ, when he looks at you, he sees that you are clothed in righteousness. You Sinful you. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of his son. 
no greater place do we see a demonstration of the goodness of God than the cross. Because of the cross, we, the church, have become the bride of Christ. Let's read this passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 of Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall be no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That is how good God is. That he can take sinful people who are known as forsaken and desolate and make them a crown, make them beautiful, clean them up to, to the point where now he can delight in you. But notice what he says is that as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, that's how God will rejoice over you. God is good. What an incredible, unfathomable level of goodness. If you are a born-again Christian in this place, know this. The goodness of God means that regardless of our circumstance, our God is working out every bad thing according to his good plan for those who love him. The goodness of God means that he will not waste any suffering, any, any hardship, or any trial that befalls you, but instead he will use it to draw you nearer to him, help you to know more of him, and make you look more like him. God is good. Let's stand. As hard as it is to fathom this good, holy, righteous, perfect, incredible God is for you. If you are his child, he delights in you. He's not against you. Church, let us resist every attempt of the enemy to make us believe otherwise. Let's pray.
Oh, Lord, you truly are a good, good father. How unsearchable are your ways. Lord, your goodness endures forever. The whole world, the whole earth, the whole universe is full of your goodness. Everywhere we turn, we are met with another demonstration of just how good you are and how undeserving we are. But we thank you, God. We praise you, Lord, for how good you are. Lord, and I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I pray that we all got a sample of how good you are, Lord. I pray that we would rest in your goodness. I pray that in the midst of suffering and anguish and, and conflict, Father, that we would not curse God and die, but that we would know that you are good. And that no matter how awful things may get, that you can turn things around in an instant, but most importantly, you are working things out for our good. God, help us to know that you are for us, that you're not against us. God, help us to know that if we are in Christ, there is no more condemnation for us. That we are your bride and that you delight in us. But it's not because of anything that is found within us. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ. May we glorify you as we go on this week. May we be a display of the goodness of God to the world around us. And I pray for these things in your holy name. Amen.